Jim Harbaugh made a promise. I want to get Michigan back to promise. It all comes to a, to, to a head Monday night. Because if they're to win this game, I think it says more about their journey than anything else that we can kind of put into it as far as this new age of college football. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. It is Sunday here in Houston, Texas. NRG Stadium right behind me, the site of the national championship. Michigan and Washington will kick off a little more than 24 hours from right now. We have a lot that we need to do though before we get to kickoff. We have tons of shows on the ESPN family of networks tomorrow. We of course will be with you after the game on Always College Football. So lock into the ESPN YouTube channel to the podcast. We'll be with you from inside the building, hopefully confetti falling on the field when we tape our segment to talk about what just went down right in front of us. I'll be calling the game on radio as well. So if you want to tune into the radio show, that would be awesome as well. We have a terrific show in store for you today. We're going to have Dan Mullen on. He's going to join us first and we'll be followed by Booger McFarland. Dan Mullen coached in multiple national championships, called plays in multiple national championships. I want to talk about the thought process that goes into putting the offensive game plan together. And then Booger McFarland won two Super Bowls. He's played against elite quarterbacks in the past. What would he do if he were a defensive tackle for the Michigan Wolverines playing against Michael Penix? And if he were a defensive tackle for Washington, how would he stop the run? headlined by Blake Corum. So without much further ado, let's dive in. It's Dan Mullen of ESPN fame, but formerly of the Florida Gators and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. So you've called games in this setting before. You've won it twice as a coordinator. How do you guard against over-preparing knowing that you have a long layoff? Well, the one thing these teams now are getting is the short week to get ready for this game. I'm sure they did some previous prep work and getting ready to go. It was the previous game with that long layup. You have to be really careful. You have to set up a great routine, how you're going to approach it. You're going through a developmental stage first couple yeah. of weeks. Then you get into a game week. We always did two game weeks. I like to do a game week. Then the guys would take a little break when they came back or you got to location for the bowl game then you're going through the second game week. You're kind of repeating what you've already done. So there's a lot of confidence in there with those players getting ready to go play the game. So the familiarity with the plan is basically installed. Now this, obviously, we had the semis on Monday. This is a normal week, right? Yeah. I mean, but it feels like Kalen DeBoer and, and Jim Harbaugh have kind of built it up and say we're not treating it like a normal week. So how do you create routine while also embracing the fact that you're playing in a championship? I, th I think it's the end of the year, though. I yeah. mean, when you get to the end of the year, you know, the pads come off. You just played last week. You're very comfortable with what you're going to do. You're going to get into a championship game, and you're also going to look and say, hey, let's not overcomplicate it. Sure. Let's do what we do well. Let's not overthink. Make sure the guys that need to touch the ball are touching the ball <laughs> and get it in their hands and do what we know so that your guys can play fast and confident. You're on the biggest stage. Right. You want your guys not sitting there and being mentally bogged down with changing an entire game plan. You want them playing fast, confident, and enjoying the moment. And to do that, you do that by going back to the basics and running your base offensive defense. Right. So when you uh, – obviously, BCS setting, so a little bit different. But yeah. if you were – preparing to play in a championship environment. Would you, in the weeks leading up to the semifinal game, maybe put a period or two into your practice preparations on, let's say, let's just use the example, if you're Michigan, 
did you practice any Texas Washington in the two or three weeks leading up to just give you a little bit of a head start? I don't know if you're practicing it, but I'm sure there's a game plan. There is a yeah. group of guys that are in there and assistant coaches that are going to sit there and say, okay, let's get our notes together because of the quick turnaround. We want to have our notes. We want to have our base plan. So when we turn around after the semifinal game, we are prepared with what we're going to do and get that information to the players as fast as possible. That's awesome. I, I've always been fascinated by what goes on. Because as players, we don't know. It's like you call the play, I run the play, right? But you guys, there's always a method to the madness. Now, Mac, kind of looking at this matchup in particular, let's start with, with Washington's offense attacking Michigan's defense. If you were calling the plays and you were Ryan Grubb, how do you try to take advantage of an aggressive group up front and some pretty good cover guys? Well, one of the things when you get into this game, you sat there. I remember doing it in the uh, playing Ohio State in the, in the BCS National Championship game. Urban Meyer came down and said, hey, here's our script and our openers. And I, he kind of was shocked. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, we didn't come here to be conservative. We're going to let this rip and go. And I think that's what they want to do, and I think the coaches will do that. And if you see that, we're going to sit there and say, hey, we're going to respect what they do. But when you watch Washington, they throw the ball deep as good as anybody in the country. Yeah. But they don't just get in one formation and one protection to do it. You're going to watch Michael Penix early in the game. They're going to do it in a five-man protection, six-man protection, seven-man protection, and then they're going to boot and move the pocket to take shots down the field. And I think one of the things they can have confidence in we saw the Michigan defense get after Alabama, five sacks in the first half. Yeah. Michael Penix has been sacked 11 times on the entire season. Why? Because he gets rid of the ball. He's very, he has the experience. He's not afraid to throw it away. He's not afraid to check it down. And, but when you give him the opportunity, he's going to take it deep down the field. We'll be interesting on the side of Michigan to see what they do. When you watch them earlier in the era, when they pressure, they'll play man and get up on you and play pressure. When you go back to that last game against Alabama, they played a lot of cover three, a lot yeah. of off cover three to try to confuse Jalen Milrow. I don't think you're going to be able to confuse Michael Penix. The experience he has, the veteran player, been around a long time, he's going to look and say, okay, you're going to run cover three. I'm just going to throw some curl flats until you jump on it. We'll throw a hitch out into the flat. Sure. You start jumping on it, now we'll get the double move. Okay. Or if you're going to play in a cover three, as you know, you'll see it. We're going to max protect, try to clear two guys out on one side of the field and run a deep crosser coming across the field. But to do that, we'll max protect or move the pocket to give him more time to go do it. So that's going to be interesting. And I'm sure on the flip side, you look at the Michigan defense and they're saying, hey, he has only been sacked 11 times. Hey, keep it in front of you. We're going to get after him. We're going to hit him. We're not going to give him the time to throw the ball deep down the field. So you just make a play offense, and if you can keep it in front, Maybe he'll take an unnecessary risk and catch one. Is that kind of the well, thought that, process? Well, that's what it is. And does Washington have the patience? Yeah. <laughs> right. They, they like to go deep. Yeah. Did they have the patience to sit there and say, you're not going to let us deep. We're just going to keep taking it underneath all day. Or will they start getting antsy and say, we need to launch some deep down the field. And when that happens, now you got to protect, and now the pressure gets after you. Well, it, in the event in which, our red zone, for example, and I think this game naturally, I mean, touchdowns are going to win this football game. Field goals are, knowing both offenses are capable, uh, I have a hard time envisioning field goals being the deciding factor. But when you look at, at the red zone in particular, if they can't stretch the field vertically because the field's condensed and they can't run the ball because Dylan Johnson's not at 100%, how do they move the ball? Well, not sure you're going to say like a guy like Jack Westover. I, yeah. I'm excited about him in this game because <laughs> he's not the star power guy. Right. But the thing that makes offenses go is 
who are they going to try to take away? Okay, they're going to start take away Roma Dunze. Then we're going to go get Jalen Polk. But we got to keep an eye on Jalen McMillan because he can score from anywhere. He's so electric. Right. And all eyes on them. And then you have a guy like a Jack Westover whose catch radius is unbelievable. <laughs> you get down in the red zone. Do you see like third and twos, third and three? Sure. They're throwing the ball in his direction all the right. time. And he's a guy that can go score down in the red zone. And the thing that makes Washington dangerous is you always talk about it. You watch games. Whenever you watch a football game or you watch a team, you want to know who can score touchdowns. Yeah. Hey, we can drive the ball. We have all these offensive stats. When <laughs> someone on your team has to score touchdowns, Washington has multiple guys that can do it, which helps in those situations because you don't have to just eliminate one. You have to eliminate about five different guys that all score touchdowns yeah. for them. All their tight ends get involved in the pass game down in the red zone. I mean, even 88. No, Quentin yeah. Moore, he's, he's the blocker. But, hey, we'll sneak him out and, and bust him into the flat. Let's go to the other side with Michigan's offense. I imagine the, the recipe's simple, like power football, get some inside-outside zone, but probably going to run J.J. some. What if Washington can hold up in the run game like so many people think they can't? What yeah. if they can, then how does Michigan beat them? Well, that's where it gets a little bit scary. Now, I was impressed in the semifinals. I thought Alabama would be able to eliminate the receivers of Michigan on the outside. Yeah. They were going to load the box and say, okay, we can cover these guys one-on-one. -on -one. They weren't able to do that. There were some explosive plays. Uh, you know, and you look at Roman Wilson, puts the ball in the end zone. He scores right. not huge touchdowns, not a lot of catches, but a lot of touchdowns. Sure. You know, when you look at the whole season of work. So, I, I think they're going to try. They will commit to the run completely and then can jj mccarthy do it in the in the, the semi-final game against Alabama, the biggest question i had is okay now there's four minutes left jj mccarthy it's not going to be an eight minute drive there's four minutes left in the game and he's got to lead a drive down the field yeah. to score and he did it and there's times he makes some poor decisions out there on the field that you see him some questionable throws but when the biggest moment in the game was on the line, he was able to lead that team down the field, lead the drive, and win the game. Is there more in there than what we've seen? Like, you're a great evaluator of talent. You have found multiple ways to use guys like Nick Fitzgerald, Dak Prescott, Tim Tebow. Like you have found multiple ways to bring out the best in that particular player. I don't know how you do it because some of those guys, I'm like, there's no way that guy could throw it. And sure enough, Nick Fitzgerald <laughs> hits you for a big one. Uh, is there more in the tank than what maybe the average fan thinks of J.J. McCarthy? I think there is. And I think Jim Harbaugh is a great developer of quarterbacks yeah. as well and played the position. So I, I think this, at, he's going to look at J.J. and is a great, I love the, the, everyone loves the term game manager, right? <laughs> of course. I love it. That's all I want. A yeah. game, but to me, the game manager at the quarterback position means you need to do whatever we need for the team to win. Hey, J.J., we're going to put the game on your back. You might need to throw it 50 times for 400 yards. Okay? <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, okay, that, well, that's a great game. He, he managed the game. Sure. He did what they – hey, we might need you to run it. We might need you to just check us into the right play and let Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards just pound away yeah. all day long at him and complete a couple of third downs to get us down the field and a deep shot to keep him honest. That's what he does. And I think he does do a really good job of that. And I think he, he, when you have a, a coach – and a quarterback that are on the same page, with when you, which you have when you look at Michigan play, he understands that. He understands, I don't have to try to impress and force the ball to throw it all the time. They're going to let me, I, I will make the plays to help this team win. And that's what you want from the quarterback position. And I think last week he showed there's multiple ways he can do it. He can do it throwing, he can do it running. 
where he can just, you know, I've, I've locked her in the season. We've just seen him turn and hand the ball off. Yeah. And he can do it that way, too, and not get flustered or force the team into mistakes. They make very few mistakes. Very few. <laughs> and, 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 and that starts to me at the quarterback position. He's the guy walking in that huddle, tell him this is how it's going to be. He gets everybody on the same page. They don't have penalties. They don't turn the ball over. They don't make mistakes, and that comes from him. Yeah, he, it's been so fun to watch. They're, I mean, they're a coach's dream to me. Physical as can be, like pound the football, occasional weapons on the outside, get them going. So It's a Greg McElroy offense. I'm, which is why I probably like it so much. <laughs> have you ever dreamed of hitting the road in your very own customized Mercedes-Benz Sprinter? Follow college football all season long by hitting all the biggest games in college football's most celebrated stadiums. At ESPN, we dreamed that dream, and with the help of Mercedes-Benz, we made it happen. This year, our very own Jen Latta has teamed up with Mercedes-Benz designers to create a road-ready, fully functional, state-of-the-art podcast studio on wheels. The ride is pure Mercedes-Benz with all-wheel drive and the latest driver assistance, safety, and tech. The podcast studio must be seen and heard to be believed. A spacious and chill conversation space with mics, camera, and mixing board to capture the action. On board, Jen Latta will be interviewing some of the biggest names in college football. All points to Mercedes-Benz for always bringing some extra. Out back of the Sprinter, they're innovating. Pushing the science of the tailgate, complete with grill, cooler, TV monitors, and more. This is hashtag van life meets the fan life. To get an inside look to this one-of-a-kind, blow-your-mind collaboration came together, visit mbvans.com slash Sprinter Labs. The Mercedes-Benz ESPN College Football Podcast Sprinter coming soon to a game near you. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Now joined by Booger McFarland. Uh, Booger's obviously everywhere for ESPN. <laughs> His best role is alongside Boomer on huh. Sunday NFL Countdown. Yeah, that's fun. Do you enjoy that? It, you know what? It's cool, man, because obviously, just like you, we, I grew up watching that show right. with him and Tom Jackson. <laughs> and so when the call came, hey, do you want to – because it was originally supposed to be me filling in for Tom yeah. because of COVID. And then just kind of one thing led to another. Tom kind of backed away, and they told me I could keep it. And I just let Boomer talk, and when he decides to breathe, I jump in. Well, let's get into this game a little bit because yeah. I, I know that this will be music to your ears, yeah. but it probably won't surprise you. I think this is a line of scrimmage game. Yeah. And this game in particular is going to be determined by whether or not Michigan's defensive line can put pressure on Penix yep. and whether or not Michigan's offense can run the football against yeah. Washington's defensive front. I mean, am I missing something there? Well, um, if we know that, then the coaches have to know that. Yeah. And oftentimes, the best coaches, I remember Bill Belichick. You know, the reason he's a Hall of Fame coach and has won, I don't know, six Super Bowls as a head coach and I think another four or five as an assistant is they always take what you do best and take it away. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh's a good coach. Caleb DeBoer's a good coach. So I, at some point, you got to say Washington is not going to let Michigan just line up and run it over them. Somehow they're going to figure out a way 
because stopping the run is a numbers game. So somehow they're going to figure out a way to have more numbers that Michigan can block. And on the flip side, Jim Harbaugh is going to figure out a way. I'm not going to allow Michael Pennis to just sit back there. Jesse Minnis is going to come up with some scheme, whether it's zone pressures, whether it's quarters coverage, whether it's too deep, some exotic blitz scheme to not allow the quarterback to be comfortable and get pressure on him. I just think it's going to be the, the adjustment at halftime. So these guys are going to come into this game with a wrinkle that the other hasn't seen. And then who goes in the halftime and makes the adjustment to me? I think this is going to be a second-half game. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be a blowout um, because I think these coaches are too good to put their players in adverse situations. If you were Michigan's defensive line, and Penix isn't a guy that's going to take off. I mean, Correct. he has, might have six, seven scrambles all year. Yeah. I mean, it's not a lot. Uh, they do have the occasional design run, but yeah. not. they don't live in it. Uh, big game like this, though, maybe they have a little more. What are you thinking as a defensive tackle playing against an offense like that? Ball's coming out quick. Yeah. Um, if, we, if we're going to do some type of zone pressure, I know that I'm going to have time because the zone pressure is going to be designed to make him hold the football. And by zone pressure, I mean we're going to make him think there's a blitz, but we're really only rushing four. Yeah. Simulated pressure. Which sure. is very similar to what the Baltimore Ravens do. Right. And, you know, Jason Minnis from that Baltimore Ravens tree. And so I, I think when you look at it as a defensive lineman, I'm going to know what calls that are going to give me a little extra time to get there. Because, I mean, Texas did a very poor job. No sacks, no pressure. I mean, no one he threw for 430 yards. They, they, they couldn't get to him. I want to know when do I have time to get there? When, when is he going to pat the, pat the football? When is he going to hold it? And then I'm going to try to take my chances during that time. They have some screens, though. Like, they'll mix in some screens, too, to yeah. kind of keep you guessing. Screens they'll change the me, launch though. point. So screens aren't going to beat me. It's that, it's that McMillan, Polk, or Tuesday fellow that's going to beat me. <laughs> yeah, understandable. So you would basically, hey, keep it in front, let the front four get after them, see if you can confuse them some with disguises. And I, I want to know how patient they are. Yeah. There, there have been a couple of times this season where Washington gets very impatient. Very impatient. Like it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's third and two, and they're, they're throwing goal balls. Yeah. Like, I mean, at some point, can we get the first down? Yeah. And so is, is that offense going to show up? They also go through stretches in games where they don't move the football. Yeah. I mean, they'll go – three, four drives, well, it's three and out, three and out, three and out, and then all of a sudden they come back and hit you for four straight TD drives. Yeah. So I'm, I want to know, can I get them in a situation where I can take advantage of them? You know this. Typically a team has 12, 10 to 12 possessions. Yeah. If you're Michigan, can you get them to nine? Yeah. Can you get them to eight by running the football? And when you get them to nine or get them to eight, do they become impatient? If they do, then I think we got them where they want to. I think this, this is the tempo game. If this game is played in the mid to high 30s, Washington wins. If this game is played in the teens or low 20s, I think it's a Michigan-type game. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. Looking at the other side, and, and Michigan's a team that obviously wants to run the football. They got pullers. They got extra blockers. Yeah. They got big tight ends. They have multiple sets. Um, if you were trying to defend this rushing attack, yeah. they're going to make you wrong. Like, if you're guessing, you can't really two-gap them because they're too dang no, big. So no. how do you stop the run? Stopping the run is, is just like going to elementary school. It, it's math. It's two plus two equals four. If they have five guys to block, i got to have a sixth guy that's going to be a free hitter to make the ball carrier do something. Like, stopping the, stopping the run is not, like, this great formula, man. It's, it's, it's simple math. And what you have to be able to live with, though, if you're going to devote the extra guy to the run game, are you willing to line up and say, okay, I'm going to allow Wilson and Johnson to be one-on-one -on -one outside? If you're Washington, I think you'll – I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm cool with that. And so I, I bring the safety down in the box. I do what we used to do in Tampa. I do line stunts movement because anytime you have teams that want to come downhill and go with the double teams, you want to allow your defensive tackles to move, not have to take those double teams all day. Give them a little break by having some movement, some pirate stunts, some stick stunts, maybe blitz the linebacker in the A-gap, anything to throw the math off. Because, again, blocking the run game is simple math. So 
I got to think they're going to do some movement. They're going to have run blitzes. They're going to have run stunts. And at the end of the day, they got to bow up, man. Yeah. Like, it, this is still a physical game where you got to man up, and it's about beating a defender or beating an offender in front of you. Would you be aggressive if, if you – knowing that your offense has been really good this year and you might have to force the issue, if you're Washington's defense, would you be overly aggressive or would you just kind of play ball control and figure it I'm out? I'm going to fill it out early on. The first drive of the game, if it's 5, 6, 7, 10, 12 yards of carry, I got to switch it up. If they come out, it's three and out the first drive of the game, all right, let's, <laughs> let's see what happens the second drive. Yeah. Then let's go to the third drive. I'm not going to panic until I have to. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's the approach you got to have. Like, there's really no need to, to send everybody if you don't have to. I got to see if my guys can hold up. And I think we will know in the first five minutes of the game on both sides of the football, we will know whether or not the, other, the opposing defense can hold up. We're going to know whether Washington, because they've, all, they, they've said all along, they've even been in my mentions, we, we can play big boy football. <laughs> Okay, we're going to find out early on. Yeah. And Michigan, we, we've said they got the number one defense in America. We know Will Johnson, his QBR against is like five or whatever the number <laughs> is. All, all, all the numbers. Yeah. But if I get you, I get you in a one-on-one -on -one situation with Rome out there, can you handle it? Because if I see it, I'm checking to it and I'm going deep. Right. And I want to see, are you going to panic? And so it's a lot of little matchups that are going to take place early on that if I'm a coach, I want to see how my players react. I think I know. I, have a, I, I think I have a guess that I know, but I'm not really going to know until the ball's in the air. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that cat and mouse for sure. And last one before we get you out of here. If Michigan wins, yes. they are not the modern-day blueprint for college football. Right. It feels like Washington is more the modern-day blueprint. Like, you got a great quarterback. you got elite wide receivers. Mm -hmm. You can push the ball all the way over the yeah. field. Like, you take advantage of every particular – maybe you're not great, not elite defensively, yeah. but still good. I think they're fine defensively, and I think they're actually vastly underrated. But if Michigan wins, is that kind of signaling maybe a reversion back to the type of teams that won championships in the 90s and the early 2000s? No, I, I don't think so, because I don't think the game is going back that way. Like, this isn't going to be the norm. This is kind of the anomaly. And this Michigan team has kind of been built this way. And the conference they, plays in, they play in allowed them to be built this way, uh, to be physical, not super explosive, play great defense, run the football, ball control. Well, they don't go against too many offenses in the Big Ten that can put up 40 in a game. So they don't have to get to 40. They can live getting to 20 or 17 and beat most teams in the Big Ten except that team they played the last game of the season. So if, if, if they, when this new Big Ten changes and, and now you get in Washington, you get in Oregon, and those offenses put up 30 or 40, I don't think consistently week in and week out when they play those big games, they're going to be able to play three yards in a cloud of dust. And so to your point, I think this will be a, the culmination of a three-year run for this, this iteration of Michigan. They knock on the door, they get beat by Georgia. They knock on the door, they get beat, beat by TCU. They get back in. Those guys work out. Those guys come back. All those guys continue to be uh, part of a veteran-laden team. You finally beat Alabama. When everybody said that you were only a one-point favorite, people, some people said it was a pick em type game. And now, can all the heartbreak they've had against Georgia, against TCU, in years and years past, Jim Harbaugh made a promise. I want to get Michigan back to promise. It all comes to, to, to a head Monday night. Because if they're to win this game, I think it says more about their journey than anything else that we can kind of put into it as far as this new age of college football. Yeah, it'll be awesome, man. It'll be a great game. You have a lean? Which way are you leading? You don't have to tell us yet if you don't I want to. I learned a long time ago. And, <laughs> and I'll put it this way. Because I was changing my mind about how football is played. Yeah. You know, back when the Denver played Seattle in the Super Bowl. Right. When Manning, they were averaging 50 a game. 
offense is taking over. Defense can no, <laughs> defense can no longer win. Yeah. And Seattle shut, shut that team down. It's a lot easier, Greg, to play great defense than they just play great offense. Great offense, it takes 11 guys being in unison. Great defense, it takes one guy every play. I'm always leaning toward the greater defense. Michigan has the best defense. I'm going to lean Michigan. How they win, I don't know, but I'm always, I changed my mind against Seattle and Denver, and I'm never going back. Great defense will be the great offense any day of the week. It didn't hurt to play that game in like windy, freezing cold rain in New York either. Yeah, it was 52 and no win if I remember. No, I remember it very differently. Uh, Booger McFarland, the great Booger McFarland of ESPN joining us here on Always College Football. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Couple news and notes before we part ways. Malachi Nelson is transferred from USC to Boise State. A lot of people very surprised. Former number one overall player, according to some recruiting services, has now chosen to go the G5 route as opposed to the P5 route. Now, I don't know the significance of this. Will he immediately start at Boise? I think it's in all likelihood I'd say yes. This might be the new path, though. If you don't start early at a P5, you go to the G5, you start. Then maybe you reassess after one year. Do you stay at that particular school, given the success that you've had? Or do you potentially have other doors that open at other places so you can cash in by way of NIL down the road? But either way, a significant move for Boise State. It's terrific. Very excited to see what the program looks like. It's a proud program. This will be a terrific move for Malachi Nelson. Malik Neighbors, the runner-up in the Bolitnikoff Award, has decided to go to the NFL. He just had one of the best receiving years in LSU history, and given the players that have come through LSU at that position in the past, that's certainly saying something. He's a terrific player, great run to catch. I think he'll be an excellent pro as well. And then Bryce Underwood, the number one overall player in the 2025 class, has decided to commit to LSU, a significant get for Brian Kelly. You just had the Heisman Trophy winner. You've had some upheaval at your offensive coordinator spot still at the moment, trying to figure out who's going to replace Mike Denbrock, who opted to return to Notre Dame. We'll see exactly who that is. But either way, to land the number one overall player without an offensive coordinator is pretty dang impressive. So congrats to LSU, congrats to Bryce Underwood, and congrats to Brian Kelly. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. I continue to ask all of you to like, to rate and to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. You can also subscribe to the ESPN College Football YouTube channel. That would be great. Hit that thumbs up right below if you are watching on the YouTube channel. So we appreciate you guys so much. And we will continue to fill it up with plenty of content if you follow our social media channels 
at AlwaysCFB and at Greg McElroy. So for all of us here at Always College Football, our terrific local television crew here who's taping this and is braving the miserable 52 degree, I guess we could call it cold. We're soft in Texas, ladies and gentlemen, we are soft. But this is freezing for Houston and I am ice cold right now, so I'm gonna get out of here on this. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, the other Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a terrific day. Happy National Championship Eve. We'll see you tomorrow here on Always College Football.